Welcome to My Empower Project with your host, Erin Rowe. We will discuss nutrition, fitness, becoming your own boss, and just becoming better every day. I invite you to join My Empower Project as we embark, embrace, encompass, and enlighten. Ryan Monahan is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, a clinical advisor for the medical director program at FDN and certified autoimmune protocol coach with a passion for uncovering hidden stressors that contribute to thyroid disease. With the help of cutting edge functional lab work, Ryan helps his clients to identify the true root causes of their primary health challenges so that they can stop wasting time and resources and start living their best life. Typically, his clients have struggled with finding relief. They feel that they've tried everything and that traditional medicine hasn't served them. And in his experience, there's a better way. Welcome Ryan to My Empower Project. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate being here. So I'm known by my listeners for trying all different biohacking techniques to try my best to prevent disorders in the body. And if something goes awry, I do prefer the holistic methods of treatment, if not like an integrative treatment approach. And Ryan, I'd love to hear some of the common problems that you see in your day-to-day practice. My clients do often come to me after more or less having tried everything, right? Um, they've been to a, diff- a dozen different doctors and have tried different treatments and prescriptions and maybe have even tried different healing modalities, whether that's yoga or acupuncture, or they, they, they've tried vitamin D, they've tried zinc, right? So they, they often have a foot in this door of functional wellness, but they're still hitting a wall with their symptoms. And what I'm most often finding is that there are hidden stressors in the body or, or what I might even refer to as interferences. And these are things that may be preventing someone from healing that are underneath the surface. They may be unaware of them. So I literally actually just got off the phone with a client and she had very high mercury levels showing up on a, on a test result, right? Uh, mercury is neurotoxic. It's actually more toxic than lead. Um, and that can cause all kinds of issues with fatigue and potentially even anxiety and depression, Um, any kind of symptoms associated with inflammation in the brain could actually be a heavy metal issue, right? So things that I often see with my clients would include, you know, gut dysfunction, hormone imbalances, toxins, nutrient or mineral deficiencies, uh, neurotransmitter imbalances, um, you know, poor immune function, that sort of thing. And, you know, essentially what what I'm doing with clients is helping them to, to dive deep to, to gather as many clues as possible as we can to try to uncover the set of root causes. It's, it's, you know, you hear this term root cause, but rarely is there actually just one cause for someone. It's usually a whole bunch of things between, you know, diet and lifestyle, toxicity, gut dysregulation, hormone imbalances. And we try to, you know, fix all of it, right. And get, get people feeling back to normal and, and getting, um, getting their function restored back to optimal so that people can go back to living their best life, which is ultimately what it's all about. I have a lot of questions about that toxicity, but I don't want to forget to ask you, do you deal a lot with autoimmune diseases? Yeah, I would say a good 70, 80% of my clients are primarily dealing with Hashimoto, sorry, uh, autoimmune conditions in general. 
um, particularly Hashimoto, since that was my own personal experience. Um, I was diagnosed myself with Hashimoto's disease back in 2012. So it's been eight years. I just recently ce celebrated my eight-year Hashiversary. And, uh, so I've, I've gone very deep down the, the clinical rabbit hole in, into understanding the nuances of, of thyroid diseases and autoimmune disease to the thyroid. And once you kind of dive into that world, you realize that there's actually a lot of commonality between all autoimmune diseases. So um, when you understand the, the underlying mechanisms that drive Hashimoto's, then it's actually much easier to understand what might cause arthritis or what might cause lupus or what might cause, um, you know, various different, you know, autoimmune disease, diseases that you come across. Do you think autoimmune diseases are on the rise or people just don't know that, that they could have that? They don't hear about them. They don't know what they are. What do you think it is? Yeah, I think the testing has gotten better. So the diagnostics have gotten better. So I, I do think part of it is, is there's an increased awareness, but I, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I think we're also living in a world where we're eating, you know, an increasing amount of processed foods. We're spending less time outdoors, especially now with coronavirus, right? So we're being cut off from each other in terms of our sense of community. We're getting less sunlight. We're exposed to more toxins in the home, right? So there's, there's a whole list of things that you can look at there. But if I were to boil it down to one thing is that, that our modern life looks vastly different than it did even just a hundred years ago, let alone thousands of years ago, right? So if you, you only have to go back a hundred years or so um, where, where most of us, you know, had, you know, farms in the backyard and we're eating produce right out of the backyard, right? So, um, you know, it's really interesting to see this, this increase in, in industrialized diseases like heart disease and cancer and obesity and diabetes and autoimmune conditions are all on the rise, right? So in my opinion, that has everything to do with the, the radical shift in our diet and lifestyle, which is, in my opinion, out of alignment with what our, with what our body expects from us, right? So one analogy that I've made recently is that if, you, if you've ever done any gardening, you may know that your plants require specific nutrients like phosphorus and nitrogen and potassium, and they need the right amount of water, not too much, not too little. They need the right amount of sunlight, not too much, not too little. And so if you, if you follow along those biological laws of, of what nature needs, then you're going to grow a, a healthy and thriving garden. And our body is really no different, but we've gotten to a place in our culture and society where we think we're kind of above those laws of, of physiology and of, of what our body needs uh, in terms of a, a biologically appropriate diet and a biologically appropriate lifestyle. I love that analogy. I love that you mentioned diet because that's my passion. I started studying food in 2012, 2013. And I feel like similar to what you said, a lot of people, they get by with what they've been doing, but they're actually a lot more sluggish and there are, there's inflammation in their body that they're not going to realize for another 10 or so years. So, so I like that analogy. But a lot of people experience thyroid issues. I hear about it more and more in my 30s. My boyfriend has hypothyroidism. Can you spill the beans on thyroid health and also tell us quickly what Hashimoto's is? Yeah. You know, it's interesting you had mentioned that 10-year that uh, example or journey because that's about how long it took me 
to get a Hashimoto's di diagnosis. I had actually visited, no joke, over 40 doctors before getting a diagnosis. <clears throat> and I think that happened for two reasons. One, because it's often considered to be a woman's disease. So for that reason, the doctors that I was visiting weren't ever screening me or testing me for a thyroid issue, right? And then I also think that men maybe, I think it's fair to say, are possibly a little more reluctant to go to the doctor when they're not feeling well, right? So I think that in part may account for why more women tend to develop thyroid issues than men, but um, quick public service announcement, if you're a male and you're dealing with fatigue, depression, constipation, weight gain, cold intolerance, you know, those are some of the red flags or common signs of hypothyroidism. Um, and, and I wish I had gotten screened for it sooner because I would have saved myself years of, of um, you know, heartache. You know, and wasting time and energy and resources. And I often look back and feel like I lost out on my entire 20s to chronic illness, and chronic disease, from just feeling so terrible all the time, sleeping 12 hours a day and having very little motivation or energy. I'm glad you were able to find the answer, even if it took so long. What changes have you made now to keep those symptoms at bay? A whole lot of things. The, the Hashimoto's diagnosis was, was a major wake-up call for me. And I, I basically overhauled my entire diet and lifestyle and everything about everything, more or less. So when I was first diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I was still on a vegan diet. And quite frankly, I, don't, I just don't think that was working for me. And, and I don't think it can work for a lot of people, just, just based on what our body actually needs, you know, in terms of our dietary nutritional needs. So at the time I had come across uh, Mickey, Mickey Trescott's work with autoimmune wellness and her story was uh, so inspiring and striking to me because she had also been on a vegan diet for most of her twenties. And then she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's just like I was. So, you know, I found someone who had a very similar story and journey. Um, and then I, I saw how, you know, she was blogging about and writing about how transitioning into uh, an ancestral paleo diet, incorporating things like bone broth and grass-fed beef and fermented foods and seafood um, helped her to recover from Hashimoto's, helped her to resolve her symptoms, reduce her antibodies, and uh, ultimately get her back to feeling normal again. So that was really the big first step for me was transitioning into a more nutrient-dense uh, ancestral diet, right? Um, like bone broth was a, initially like a really big key component of helping me to heal my leaky gut and into feeling me, uh, getting me to feel more energetic again. It really made a big difference. Um, then, um, you know, kind of fast forward several years when I started to learn functional nutrition and functional lab interpretation, that's where I started digging into my own lab work and uncovered all these hidden stressors in the body between H. pylori, which is a bacterial infection in the stomach. I was dealing with yeast and fungal overgrowth. I was dealing with a parasite. I did have mercury and aluminum and other heavy metals in my system. My immune system was all out of whack and imbalanced um, and on and on, right? So it was like peeling back the, the layers of an onion I didn't do all this work overnight, right? This was like a journey for me, right? Um, and that's where I'll often emphasize in working with clients that 
you know, you're, you don't graduate from healing the body. You don't, you don't heal the gut and do a liver cleanse and get a diploma, right? It's a, it's an ongoing process. Um, and it's a lifestyle, right? I'm eating a nutrient dense diet, getting plenty of movement and exercise, you know, reducing stress in your life, cutting out toxic people in your life that, that don't support you and don't love you, right? There's all of these things are important. Um, and, and I'll add to this too, that one common mistake that I see with clients is that they, they tend to overemphasize or overfocus on the, on the dietary side. But that's just one lever in the overall picture of our health, right? And so we also need to look at our, our sleep habits and stress reduction and exercise and also, you know, running some functional labs and looking at, you know, what's going on underneath the, the surface. I have so many questions about the labs. I think it was two years ago now I got an entire functional lab test and I'm now doing a parasitic cleanse just because, and it's a four-phase thing. Like you said, there's no diploma. You just keep improving the body. And so who, why do you suggest functional lab testing? That's a, yeah, that's a good question. And ultimately, I would summarize that by saying that lab testing helps us to end the cycle of trial and error, right? So many of us spend so many years, um, like I had mentioned earlier, jumping from practitioner to specialist to doctor, um, and they don't really know what's going on with their body. And they don't, they don't even realize that even brain fog, fatigue, or depression, or anxiety can be related to your gut health. From a functional perspective, everything in the body is interconnected. It's like a web. And we're one body, right? So to think that our gut health is not related to our neurological health or vice versa is kind of silly, right? When you, when you realize that, that everything is interconnected. So when you get a handful of labs in front of you, it ultimately helps you save time, money, energy, and effort because you're actually able to see concretely what's going on in the body by looking at some blood chemistry, looking at your thyroid values and seeing if you're hypothyroid, looking at your gut health and seeing if you have gut infections or dysbiosis that might be driving or perpetuating leaky gut and intestinal permeability which, by the way, is actually what sets the stage for autoimmune conditions. It really all begins in the gut. And that's definitely like a topic of its own. But, you know, there was a guy named Hippocrates around 400 BC. <clears throat> and he was a pretty smart guy. He said that all disease begins in the gut. And he made that assumption, you know, over 2,400 years ago without, you know, even having the modern day understanding that we do about gut physiology. But um, it's very much true. And I, I really take that to heart in my own practice and truly believe that all, all health does begin in the gut and that you can't really restore someone back to normal health without addressing gut function, you know, restoring the integrity of the mucosal barrier, um, restoring the balance of the flora and, and removing any potential uh, inflammatory infections that might be driving autoimmunity. And during this time with the virus going on, I personally link the gut to your immune system. You mentioned bone broth. So I add a lot of different things to my mm -hmm. diet to boost my immune system. So I just wanted to throw that in there. 
I feel like a lot of people go to their doctor and they get a blood test and they're, they say, oh, my doctor says I'm fine. Now, I have to specifically ask my general doctor for tests and they still won't do them. So that's why I said I am going to a functional medicine doctor. So can you explain to people that have never heard of a functional test, like why it's beneficial or why it's different? Well, so for one, oftentimes the tests we're looking at are considered to be alternative tests that aren't necessarily within the wheelhouse or the realm of conventional medicine. So if you were to ask your conventional medical doctor to run a GI map or an organic acid test or a Dutch hormone test, they might even not know what you're talking about. Or if they did, they, they most likely wouldn't know how to interpret it. Um, not because they're not knowledgeable in their own realm, but just that's not, not where their training is, right? So these are, unfortunately, in my opinion, considered to be alternative tests. Uh, for that reason, they're typically not covered by insurance and often have to be paid for out of pocket, right? So that, that is kind of a challenge within the functional nutrition, functional medicine world, is that you know, a lot of people do have challenges with you know, coming out of pocket for functional lab testing. But unfortunately, that's where we are in the current state of things. So I got a separate gut test with Viome, but that was more recently. My first experience with functional medicine was just like to see if I was missing any minerals. Is that what the gut map test is or that's different? Yeah, so the, the GI map test is a DNA PCR test that actually looks for the signature or the, or the fingerprint of different microbes in the gut. So it's, it's mainly looking to see if there are pathogens or critters, I like to call them critters, right? So bacterial infections, parasitic infections, um, bacterial overgrowth, that sort of thing. Um, so with minerals, we're actually, uh, the way that I typically would test for that would be actually collecting a hair sample and running a hair tissue mineral analysis. So the neat thing about your hair is that it grows about one inch every three to four months. And your hair is actually a really good reflection of your mineral status in the body. And because it grows about an inch every three to four months, it's like a time-weighted average of your mineral status in the body. It's almost like an archaeological record of our mineral levels in the hair. So the, the HTMA test gives you more of like a long-term view of your mineral balance, whereas looking at blood chemistry, which can be valuable in its own right, but it's more looking at a snapshot of that particular moment in time or that day of your mineral balance or some of these other blood chem markers. That's so interesting. I didn't realize I never had the hair test. I also know a lot of people get functional tests for other toxicities like mold or metal. You mentioned mercury earlier, but a lot of people are sick from mold and don't know it. They don't know it for months. They don't even think of it. So how would you go about thinking should I get a mold test? Like, who are these tests for is basically what I'm asking. Anyone who's chronically ill and hasn't uncovered answers yet is, is just about anyone who doesn't feel good. Do you see a lot of the molds and metal toxicity in your patients? I do, actually. Okay. So, so when I, I, I used to, prior to living here in Denver, <clears throat> I lived in North Georgia for 10 years. And coincidentally, I lived in a, in a very moldy house, but it took me about eight years to figure that out, unfortunately. Looking back, I'm actually convinced that it was the primary cause or tipping point for my autoimmune diagnosis. 
I was really sick when I was living in that house. And I never put two and two together that it could have been my outside environment that was making me sick. And I was so chronically fatigued that I would sometimes just sleep the whole weekend away um, and sometimes sleep for 12 hours. And this is something you'll commonly see is this chronic fatigue syndrome with those with mold illness is that they're chronic, chronically fatigued and their fatigue is not relieved by sleep. So you sleep eight, 10, 12 hours, 14 hours a day, and you wake up and you're still completely exhausted and in a brain fog. And, you know, I remember just when I was living in that house, having conversations with friends or family and just like the, my brain wouldn't register. It would almost be like a, a delay time or a lag time, right? Where I just, you know, would just kind of stand there and like a deer in headlights. Mm. My brain just wasn't firing. It wasn't working. Right. So, um, what can happen there just to discuss briefly what's going on with uh, mold illness is that if there's been a history of water damage in your house, and that could be from plumbing leaks and it could even be out of sight. You may not even see it. It might manifest or present itself as a musty like smell in your house. Um, if you've got a crawl space and you live in a humid climate that greatly increases your chances of having a mold uh, issue. And, and that happened to be the case with where we we're living. So once, once you have these conditions where you have a humid environment or you've had plumbing leaks or you've got, you know, um, poor ventilation in a bathroom, there's a dozen contributing factors that can cause mold issues in the home, but it only takes about 30 minutes when there's moisture present for mold species to start growing. And those molds give off spores and you're, they, those can circulate throughout the house. Like if you have an HVAC system, it can pull up the mold spores from the lower part of the house and circulate them. You breathe in those mold spores, they colonize the sinuses. Now you end up with chronic sinusitis and post-nasal drip and allergies and asthma, right? So a lot of times chronic sinus congestion and those sorts of issues are actually driven by, by fungal issues, um, fungal and mold issues from the home. Once those fungal or mold species or spores, they colonize your system, then they start producing toxins in your body called mycotoxins, right? Those mycotoxins are highly inflammatory and they can drive all kinds of metabolic chaos in the body. Everything from weight gain to chronic fatigue to brain fog to neurological conditions to autoimmunity and in various different autoimmune diseases um, it can even drive uh, issue, issues with, uh, with poor balance or poor vision. Uh, it's, it's a pretty endless list. Um, but what I can say is that if you're someone that has a seemingly endless list of symptoms, like a laundry list of chronic symptoms, right? Not just to cut two or three things here or there that are bothering you. That's usually a, a, a sign or a red flag for a mold issue when you seem to have like every symptom all at once, uh, that can often in itself be a sign of something more serious, um, like, a, like a mold issue, right? Because it, it can affect every system and every, every um, it can affect every system in the body, right? Um, because those mold toxins can circulate, they can cross the blood-brain barrier uh, and cause issues there. So, um, you know, it took me several years to recover from mold illness. It's something I've become pretty passionate about. 
and have started working more with clients that have lived in a moldy environment and have kind of coached them through that. You had also asked a question about uh, testing in the home. So there, there are a number of different tests and ways you can evaluate that. If you do suspect mold, you can actually self-order a test called an ERMI test. And the ERMI stands for Environmental Relative Moldiness Index. It's actually like a Swiffer pad that you use to wipe down surfaces throughout the house and you send it to the lab and they, they send back a report for basically um, how moldy your house is. And they, they show you the different species that show up and, and into what quantities and all that. Um, so if your scores come back high, you know, the next step is to get an inspector to come in and help to identify the source of the mold so you can have some remediation done. So there's a home test and then also a blood test. Can the blood test show the types of mold in the body, just like the Swiffer test? Yeah, so th there are various different blood tests. One of the more common ones is called MSH, which is melanocyte stimulating hormone. That hormone is often low in those dealing with mold illness, so that can be a clue. I, I would typically not go by that alone unless it correlates, like you want to paint a picture with their symptoms and also is the mold testing in the home, is that showing there's a mold issue too, right? So there's a, there's a number of di different um, tools we can use to identify it and kind of look at this constellation of clues. Um, I'll often start by running a, an organic acid test from Great Plains Labs, and that can look at all the different mold and fungal um, overgrowth species that might be um, populating in your gut or systemically. And so that's a urine test. It's actually looking for end products or the metabolites that the mold or fungal species are producing, and you can measure those in the urine. And if some of those are high, that's a very strong indication for, for uh, having mold colonization. Um, and there's another test called a mycotox profile, also from Great Plains. Those two together are a powerful combo. If you look at the mycotox, that will show you the amount of toxins that the, that the mold species are producing in the body. So that can get a little confusing because sometimes people say, well, wait, what's the difference between the mold and the mold toxins, right? So it's often said that mold is like the gun and the mycotoxins are the bullets. So the, the mold species, those are the actual living organisms that can populate your system. And the toxins, they're not living. They're like inert chemicals or toxins that the mold produces. It's the mycotoxins that really do the most, most of the damage, right? So if, you, if you're able to see that big picture, you can then form a comprehensive plan to eradicate the mold or fungal overgrowth and also detox from the mold toxins. I kind of want to get all those tests just to be safe. I will say too, just as a, I, I would never want to instill fear in anyone or think that um, automatically that because they're sick that they have a mold problem. Right. We don't want to go creating problems where there aren't one, right? Um, but it is a possibility, and it certainly was in my own case, right? Mm -hmm. And even having worked through some gut protocols and some detox protocols, I still wasn't feeling 100%. And for me, it was just uncovering that next layer, that, that next you know, major environmental clue that was driving my own illness. And once I figured that out, um, and we did some remediation to the home, 
eventually, uh, about a year or two later after that, we moved, um, we moved out of that house and into a drier climate. But throughout that process, I had felt better than I ever had, even working on gut and liver health and hormone health and all that. All of that was extremely helpful in helping me to manage my symptoms. But for me, the, the big, the big um, kind of um, linchpin or the big puzzle piece of the picture was the mold illness. Um, and so it's going to be different for everybody, right? So I wouldn't necessarily always start with assuming there's mold illness with someone. We always want to start with the low-hanging fruit first, right, before um, going on to some of the more complex stuff like, like a mold illness case. So when you discovered that you were exposed to mold previously, did you start a new supplement regimen or what do you do to help somebody once something is discovered? So with mold specifically? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, what you're going to need to do is to, you know, get on a, a proper antifungal protocol to kill off the mold colonization in your body, right? It's basically has colonized your gut and it could potentially migrate to other areas like the kidney or the, the gallbladder, the liver, et cetera. So um, what, what you need to do in that instance is eradicate that overgrowth now there's there's a couple options. You can seek out some antifungal medication from your from your conventional medical doctor if they're willing to and they're aware of how to how to treat mold and yeast and fungal issues with, you know, say nystatin or diflucan are common uh, fungal treatments. And then there are a whole range of antifungal options in the herbal world. That's typically my preference, and I'll always give a client the option that we can utilize either of these tools. Some people will respond better to one option versus another. We also need to open up the detox pathways to, to help the body to start mobilizing the mold toxins out of the system. So we can do that through the diet. We can, use, we can also use binders that essentially act like a catcher's mitt to grab onto the mold toxins and remove them from the body. <clears throat> we can also use modalities like infrared sauna can be tremendously helpful for helping to detox from, from mold and mycotoxins. Most importantly, you have to address the mold in the home because if you're taking all these supplements, but you're still getting exposed on a day-to-day -day basis and you're breathing in all these mold toxins, then it's kind of like trying to put out a house fire with a garden hose, right? And if you're, if you're not addressing the source, then the supplements aren't going to do much and they're just going to give you expensive pee, basically, right? So with mold illness in particular, removal from exposure or remediation are prerequisite. There's no way around it for, from healing from mold. And I know that can be a difficult pill to swallow, especially if you own a home and you've, if you've already put a lot of money into investing your home and you don't necessarily have another place lined up to go, um, you know, I understand that's a tremendous challenge that can lie, lie ahead of you if you're dealing with a mold issue. But yet at the same time, it, it really, you know, it is the path to, to healing and there, there's really no other way around it. I like that you mentioned I use red light and binders during my parasite cleanse because opening all of the drainage pathways helps alleviate the symptoms of ridding these things that have been sitting in your body. So thank you for explaining that. The last toxicity that I hear of is metals. Is that mainly from dental fillings? Yeah, it can be. 
uh, especially mercury can okay. come from mercury amalgams in the mouth. You, and you, you, although you can't see it with the human eye, any kind of pressure you're putting on those fillings or any kind of heat that, um, like say you go to the dentist and you get it cleaning, there's a lot of friction and heat going on, right? What can happen is they, they vaporize and the, the vapor is, is something that we can't see. And the mercury is vaporizing and it can make its way up into the brain. And the mercury particles are so small that they can cross through the blood brain barrier and cause a lot of uh, neurological issues. So those, the dental amalgams are just one potential source, right? We're also looking potentially at sources of mercury in the diet, like tuna fish, for example, is very high in mercury. And I often recommend that is best avoided in the diet. Some other forms of fish aren't quite as high, like salmon isn't nearly as high as, as, a, as a tuna is in mercury. But you might see someone who eats tuna, tuna um, sushi multiple times a week, right? They could have a mercury issue. Tap water can be a very big source of heavy metals. So at a baseline, with every client that I work with, I, I do recommend a you know, good water filtration system. And there's a lot of good options out there to start with, you don't necessarily have to spend hundreds or thousands of dollars on a whole house water filtration system. You know, there are decent tabletop uh, filters out there that can filter out heavy metals. Where um, then we're also looking at things like pesticides and fungicides can be sources of heavy metals. Um, there can be, you know, aluminum is, is a, one of the most common heavy metals, probably even more than mercury. So now we're looking at deodorants, uh, commonly used especially certain antiperspirants that have aluminum in them, right? So it's going to be different for each individual and you have to do some digging to see where their exposures are. Um, but again, that's kind of where this test don't guess approach comes in because you can look at what individual heavy metals might be showing up for someone. And then you can talk about all the potential sources of exposure for those different heavy metals. You did mention water, and I actually thought about asking you about this. Um, I'm debating, the, I still have to look up the hydrogen water. First, I was going to get a Kangen. Now, I might just get the Berkey because yeah. it's more affordable. Which do you recommend? <laughs> I think the Berkey's great. Okay. We don't own a Berkey only because we have a very small kitchen, so we don't have a lot of tabletop space for a Berkey. Mm -hmm. um, but what we have is a, an undercounter system from Clearly Filtered so that it's tucked away under the sink and it's actually filtering right at the tap. And prior to that, we had the clearly filtered pitcher, which uses the same filter, but it's much more affordable. And it's just a, you know, a small water pitcher that uh, is going to filter out everything from fluoride to heavy metals and pesticides and xenobiotics and all that stuff in your water. All right. I'll look into that one. If one of the listeners today would like to be tested, if they're experiencing chronic illness, where can you be reached? I can be reached at themindfulnutrivore.com and also at, on Instagram at themindfulnutrivore and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash themindfulnutrivore. So I try to keep that simple and consistent across all the social media platforms. So that's the best way to find me. Uh, or you could just Google Ryan Monahan FDN, and you'll, you'll find me pretty easily that way, too. Great. Well, thanks so much for your time, Ryan, and thanks for explaining all of this to us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Ryan and I continued chatting more. So you don't just get an autoimmune disease. These are things that are happening 
because of chronic metabolic stress in the body, these things develop over years and years, and they eventually tip the scales. And the, what we call symptoms are really just the part of the iceberg that we see above the water. But in reality, 90% of an iceberg is all underwater. So most of what's going on, we can't see. And that's all the things I mentioned earlier with your hormone health, your immune function, your gut health, your detox pathways, your genetics, your diet, your lifestyle, all of it, right? We have to look at health in a, in a comprehensive, holistic way. So if someone comes to me that's interested in potentially working to me and they say, hey, Ryan, what do I do for weight loss? What do I do for chronic pain? What do I do for fatigue? How do I heal from my autoimmune disease? They're looking for a single answer. And what I say to them is, honestly, I don't know. The only way we know how to fix you is to run some lab work and for me to get some food journaling and for us to have several in-depth conversations about your diet, your lifestyle, your past histories, even potentially of, of trauma. It's going to be different for everybody. And that's where this bio-individualized, comprehensive approach comes into play because there's not just like a template. You know, I wish you could just slap a template or, you know, just follow my 90-day plan and you'll, you'll heal from autoimmune disease or mold illness or whatever it might be. It's, it's really highly dependent on, on the individual. A lot of the principles will be the same, but there's really no way of knowing exactly what's going on until you can get a body lab work to help you make more informed decisions to put a bow on that and finalize that thought. I realized that there, there is a bit of an investment in working with a functional practitioner and running some lab work out of pocket. But I can also tell you from experience that I had spent over 10 years trying to find answer, answers and kind of guessing what was going on. And I spent tens of thousands of dollars guessing what was going on because I know a lot of us in this community have been there. And I wish I just had much earlier on, you know, made this kind of investment and it worked with some type of functional health coach or practitioner that could have helped me to, to put all this together, you know, so I could have lived a, you know, a more optimal life and been able to do all the things that I wanted to do, like travel and start a business and have a more social life and not have to live in my little bubble and cook my own meals every, every day. Like you see people do that because they're worried about it getting exposed to the wrong thing when they eat out and people end up living in fear even because they're trying to control every variable rather than what really needs to be done. Then in that case is getting down to the root of it and restoring some health and vitality and strength to the body so that you're not so hypersensitive and reacting to, to every food or every toxin in the environment. And to piggyback on that, I feel like these symptoms, like you said, the top of the iceberg, they are just messages and we have to learn to be intuitive. And I actually heard of you through Sarah Small. She was in my episode and she talked about how we have to get down to the emotional trauma and emotional roots for healing, which you did mention about trauma affecting us physically and stress and lack of sleep. So I think that's part of it. And a lot of people, since I'm in the fitness world, people come to me and think, the way I eat or nutrients are for weight loss, but it's for gut health. I've been talking about gut health since 2013 and people didn't care. I told them like red food dye is bad for your gut. And they're like, going to die of something. And I'm like, your gut can add years to your life if you optimize it. So there's so much to it. And where do you even start? I would say two things. One, in a more, as a more general comment, that little by little, a little becomes a lot. So in terms of where to start, 
you don't have to ditch the toxic cleaners in your household and get a water filter and run eight tests and remediate your house from mold or any potential thing that might came up. This is a process. It's a mindset. It's a paradigm shift. And it, it's a way of looking at the world to, to optimize our habits and our environment around us to foster and facilitate resilience and strength and optimal health in the body. So to me, it's, it's not just about the number of years that you're adding to your life. It's about the quality of that time. And I don't know about you, but I want to live an optimal life. I want to feel amazing and I want to feel amazing even into my, you know, elderly years. And I plan on doing that through taking care of my body. Um, and I, I don't want to fall apart at the seams. I know that the process can se seem overwhelming. And in terms of where to start, just, just start somewhere. Starting somewhere is like they say, the cliche, like the way you climb a mountain is by putting one foot in front of the other right? And, and climbing by one step at a time. I agree. I said in my course, we aim for progress, not perfection. I started creating a meal prep strategy course. And now I have all of these bonus sections, which is bigger than the main course on biohacking. And I say, you don't have to do this all. See if something works for you. And once you start to feel good, you want to try something else. Doesn't mean you're doing it every day the rest of your life. You're just going to implement and cycle things in and see how you feel. So... I really like the uh, the 1% rule, which basically just tells us that if we improve our, our life by just 1% a day, whether that's mentally, spiritually, with our diet, with our lifestyle, just 1%, so that you shrink the change and you make it more manageable. At the end of, a, of an entire year, you are 365% improved from where you were at the beginning of that year. So that's how we make change is little by little. You had also mentioned that you know, some people might view this lifestyle as extreme. And I wanted to touch on that too, because in my point of view, I would see the way that we're living now is the extreme. So for example, we label the organic produce in the grocery store when it should just be labeled produce, because that's how our produce was grown for millions of years. And the conventional pesticide-laden GMO stuff should be lab labeled pesticide food, right? And so every, everything is kind of backwards. And in terms of, of, again, going back to what our biology expects from us, I would argue it's way more extreme to be indoors all day, staring at a computer screen, not getting sunlight, not getting movement, not getting exercise, cut off from each other in a communal sense, not eating a biologically appropriate diet, eating food that's heavily processed, and not even real food, like eating Snickers bars and Doritos is not, that's radical to me. That's way more radical than drinking celery juice or eating some grass-fed beef. I think that that's kind of a, a foundational concept in this world of the functional approach to healing is this idea that we're very much out of alignment with what our body expects from us. And that in a sense, we kind of need to turn back the clock and replicate ancestral practices. Not to say I'm not advocating we go back to living in caves and, and start carving spears again. But what I am saying is that if we want to expect to be healthy, we need a certain amount of movement. We need a certain amount of community, of sunlight, of clean drinking water, of real food in the diet that our body actually recognizes. And that's when you start to see the body recover. And so the template is fairly simple. 
Um, and it's actually just kind of getting back to the, some of these basics. And, you know, again, it's not saying like we have to ditch um, our computers and, and become Luddites and protest against technology or something like that. I'm not saying we have to, you know, go back to Paleolithic times, but we do need to adapt or change the way we think about um, what we're doing in terms of our diet lifestyle. I think it's extreme to ask our bodies to do all of this that they weren't meant to do, to be indoors and to not add variety to our cells with our food choices. Everybody tells me for my meal prep course, I don't want to eat the same thing every night. And I say, you buy the same 10 things every time you shop, the same brand. And just like functional medicine, anything new seems extreme and hard is how I've noticed people's first reaction is. So I say, open your mind, be flexible and take one step at a time. One of my favorite health-related quotes of all time is that it, it is no measure of well-being to be well-adjusted to a sick society. And, and I think that's very much where we are right now. I think we're, we're in a place where we're all well-adjusted to the idea that it's okay to be sick. But one thing I often say is that your symptoms may be common and everyone around you might be sick, but that doesn't mean it's normal. So we've gotten to a place where it's, it's become so normalized to be unwell, that we expect that. Very few of us could even count on one hand a number of people between our friends, family, and coworkers that feel amazing and have no symptoms. When in fact, that's how our bodies are designed and that we're, we're designed to experience wellness and to experience optimal health. So, you know, ultimately that's kind of my mission. That's what I'm trying to get us back to. Well, thanks, Ryan. I'm glad you're helping so many people. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You can find every episode, including the written versions to read on AaronRowe.com. Be sure to leave a review because I love hearing your opinions on the topics I shared. Are they new? Are they helpful for you? Tap that subscribe button so you don't miss the future interviews and enlightenment to come. This episode was brought to you by me and only me because I love sharing new ideas with you. Take action to become better. Have a fabulous day.